Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We are going to turn to the part of our service where we look at God's Word together. Um, and as Ed mentioned, we're looking at the seventh of the Ten Commandments this evening, and the reading, though, is from the book of Proverbs. So we're turning to Proverbs chapter 5, and that is on page 638. And we're reading the whole chapter. So it's Proverbs chapter 5, and it's found on page 638. Great. And I'm going to read it for us. So Proverbs chapter 5, starting at verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Drink water from your own system, running water from your own well. Should your, strings, your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. I'm going to hand over to Ed, who's going to teach us from the Bible. Brilliant. Johnny, thank you very, very much. As ever, a handout is making its way uh, towards you. I've, I've sort of printed on the handout the passages, including the one from Proverbs 5 that we're going to be looking at. So uh, you won't need to run around different parts of the Bible. But if you wanted one piece of the Bible open, why not open at Exodus chapter 20 at the Ten Commandments? Then you can see the very short sentence five words that we're thinking about tonight. Exodus chapter 20, 
verse 14 on page 78. Here are the five words. Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Let me pray and ask for God's help as we come to this massive, massive area of thinking about sex, of marriage, uh, so much. Uh, The Bible has to teach us on this. Uh, Let's pray for God's help over these next 20 minutes or so. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for your word, that your word speaks into this huge area of our lives, of sex and singleness and, and marriage. Lord, your word teaches us that you have made us male and female, you have made us sexual beings. And your word also teaches us where all this points ultimately. So Lord, we pray this evening that you might help us to honour you in this whole area of our lives. Uh, Lord, help us to see your ways as being good ways. Lord, help us perhaps particularly this evening to know your grace in our lives. And would you transform us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you shall not commit adultery. Just five words in the very narrow sense. It simply is a command to say, do not have sex with someone who is not your husband or your wife. Uh, That is what this command is saying. And yet, there's a much broader sense here too, as there is with all the commands. Uh, It is a call to honour marriage. Uh, It is a call to honour the Lord with our bodies. It's a call to honour the Lord with our sexuality. Now the church uh, throughout history has understood marriage as being this, a lifelong exclusive sexual and public union of one man and one woman. And the Bible teaches that sex is exclusively for marriage. Marriage, this lifelong, exclusive sexual and public union of one man and one woman. And we might hear that, certainly our world would hear that today and think, well, that seems at best rather old-fashioned, a little bit quaint, uh, at worst actually quite dangerous. But I hope we've been seeing, as we've been looking at God's commands, that God is a good God. And his ways are good ways. And we'd be wise not to d- dismiss them too quickly. And so uh, this evening we're going to think uh, a little bit about, um, well, we're going to look at lots of different areas. I- I've given you the headings there. Adultery, a way of death. Marriage, a way of life. And then thinking about the meaning of marriage. Uh, it will raise all sorts of different issues. I'm very aware this is a very sensitive area. Uh, to be speaking about as well. But it's worth just starting thinking about where our culture is at on this and perhaps in many ways where we ourselves are at on this. And so often we can see sex and marriage as being either the saviour in itself or 
on the opposite end of the spectrum, as an enemy, as a massive problem. Uh, sometimes our culture sees it as the savior. Often it sees it as the savior. Uh, our culture has made huge amounts about uh, sex and relationships into something of a, of a sort of God. Our music, our films, TV, uh, on the uh, internet. Uh, sex is made up to be something that provides the sort of thing that only really God can provide. It sort of offers this ultimate security and status, the greatest possible pleasure and comfort, everlasting happiness. And it's actually, it's a message that comes to us from all sorts of different places. Uh, in, our, in our media, yes, but also from our friends, uh, in our schools, in our unis. Uh, actually, we get it right the way back from, uh, in many ways, the earliest days. Uh, think about the story of Cinderella. Uh, how Cinderella is saved from a life of misery by her prince charming. What happens? They get married, and they go off into the sunset, living happily ever after. And in many ways, that's giving this perception that sex and marriage is, is able to give this ultimate happiness. And this same story is repeated in so many uh, different ways uh, in our lives, on, in the films, in, in movies. Uh, maybe you go to a wedding and uh, as the married couple head off at the end of the wedding, maybe this will happen next Saturday, uh, and it all seems so wonderful or marvellous, and you see them head off and you think, well, that's their life all sorted. They'll be happy forever. It's very easy to have that view. Sex is a saviour. Or maybe you're not so naive. You know that's not the reality. That's not true. And in that case, it's very easy to go to this other end of the spectrum and see sort of sex and marriage as a bit of an enemy, as a problem. Uh, actually, this, both these views of sex as saviour, sex as enemy, can come from the same root problem, which is to sort of deify sex and marriage. Uh, because if we sort of think it's going to be a saviour, then realise it's not, then we so easily swing to the other end of the spectrum. And uh, we see lots of this uh, being talked about, again, in our media, in our culture, uh, around us. Here's some song lyrics from the singer Pink uh, in a song called The Truth About Love. She says this, The truth about love is it's nasty and salty. It's the regret in the morning. It's the smelling of armpits. Uh, not necessarily a high point of sort of lyrics uh, in songs, but you get the feel that she's saying, look, it's not actually all it's cracked up to be. And this might be something you're feeling pretty strongly right now for all sorts of reasons. Or perhaps you've seen things go wrong with your parents' marriage, and you're under no illusions that marriage leads to happily ever after. Maybe something has gone wrong, very, maybe very badly wrong, in your own life. Or perhaps something you're responsible for, perhaps something you're not responsible for, but you know the pain of that. Maybe you're experiencing sexual feelings you don't want, you don't like, and it's all very confusing. Maybe you're very aware of the power of sex and sexual drive, and it sort of terrifies you. And there could be many other ways in which uh, there is much pain 
in the whole area of sex and marriage. And you feel that. And so it's very easy to have a view of sex and marriage as, as the enemy. The saviour, the enemy. As I said, in both cases, uh, the problem is that we deify sex and marriage. We make an idol into it. We turn a good thing into a God thing, an ultimate thing. And so what we need to do, what the Bible helps us do, is to put sex and marriage into its right place, into its right context. And that is why there is so much wisdom in the seventh command. And there is much wisdom throughout the whole Bible. And we're going to spend a little bit of time, particularly in Proverbs 5 that Johnny read earlier. And Proverbs 5 brings us to our first heading, uh, adultery, a way of death. As I said, the Bible teaches that, uh, teaches actually from beginning to end that the proper place for sex is marriage. And that sex outside of that context, it is actually deadly. It is deadly. That's how Proverbs 5 describes it. These are the words of a father uh, to a son about what it looks like to live a wise life. Uh, You might remember that when we looked at the book of Proverbs, but it can apply equally, of course, to women as to men. And let me just read again from Proverbs uh, chapter 5, verse 1. This wisdom. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. Instructors, I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Savory stuff, isn't it? Did you notice how attractive the adulterous woman here in Proverbs 5 looked? Verse 3, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip with honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but, it goes on, she's deadly, in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. This is what the Bible says is the reality of sex outside marriage. It looks so good. It looks so enticing, so inviting. It promises so much, and yet it tastes bitter. To use a, a silly example, um, you know those jelly beans? You know the jelly beans which you can have different tastes? I think we've got a, a picture of them coming up here. And uh, there's a game, you can take your chances. You might not like jelly beans, so this illustration won't work for you at all. But uh, you can take your chances. And there, there is, is it watermelon? That very lovely looking jelly bean that's green in the top left? Or is it actually cabbage? And it actually tastes horrible. Um, or strawberry or chili or whatever like that. Uh, it's, it's a little bit like that. 
in that uh, here, the adulterous woman, the adulterous man, uh, it looks so enticing. And that when you taste it, it is bitter. It is uh, hugely problematic. It is the taste, actually, the Bible says, ultimate of death. Uh, perhaps the best example, or one very pertinent example of this, is uh, in the whole area of pornography. A massive issue for our generation. Uh, we live at the first time in history when pornography is accessible, affordable, and anonymous. And so, for some, it's a very live issue. For all of us, it's something we're very vulnerable to because it promises so much. A kick when you're tired, when you're down. But it doesn't taste long, take long to taste its bitterness, its emptiness, its dehumanizing impacts on our life. I mean, that's certainly re- the reality of uh, the porn industry. Uh, Tim Chester has written a brilliant book on this called Captured by a Better Vision. It's on the other side of your handout, and you'll see it, see it there. I really recommend this to you. To you. And he writes this, uh, some quite punchy stuff about uh, the reality of pornography. Uh, the quote will come up on the screen. Tim Chester writes, when you look at porn, whether it's a still image or a movie, you need to look beyond the frame. Within the frame, you see a beautiful, smiling woman or a couple enjoying amazing sex. But think, what's happening outside the frame? See the film crew gathered around. See the makeup artists, the plastic surgeons, the image editors. See the drugs and the suicides. Just off screen, there are women throwing up, taking drugs, committing suicide. Look beyond the frame. See the warping of your view of sex, of your wife, of your sisters in Christ. See the damage to your relationship with God and your service of his people. See God's wrath against your sin. Look beyond the frame. The adulterous woman drips honey but is bitter as gall. Now, I guess one area on this we might be thinking is, okay, I can see how that's the case for pornography, I can see how that's the case for casual sex, for, for one-night stands. I can see why um, we have a commandment against that. But surely, what about a stable, loving, long-term relationship? Um, surely there's no problem there. Uh, we live in the 21st century, don't we? But the truth is, I wonder whether that can often be the bitterest of all experiences. Because the problem is this in sharing such a level of intimacy that sex brings, outside of the marriage covenant, outside of that public declaration to be committed to one another for life, well, you're, you're saying, look, I'll take your body, but I'm not going to commit to you my life. And surely that's the wrong way around. That is the, the joy of marriage. It's this... Public commitment, where you say to one another in, in good times and bad times, in sickness and in health, you will commit yourself to this other person. And it's in the context of that relationship that is the best, the safest, 
place to share the intimacy that sex brings. So the Bible's clear. Sex outside marriage, adultery, it is, it is deadly. It is bitter. But that's not to say at all that the Bible is anti-sex or awkward talking about sex and marriage. Uh, as Proverbs 5 goes on, let me just read again as we come on to that second point there, marriage, a way of life. See what the Bible has to say here uh, from verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful dear. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord. And he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline they will die. Led astray by their own great folly. I wonder, do you see the, the depths, the passion here of the sexual relationship within marriage between a husband and a wife? This call, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated by her love. That is what the Bible encourages us, to be intoxicated if we're married. In other words, to, to be uninhibited. There's a sense of just letting go, of being utterly free, profoundly enjoying one another. Uh, verse 15, drink water from your own system, running water from your own well. You see, sex is the most wonderful, generous gift of a good God. And the Bible says that is best enjoyed in an environment of utter trust, of complete safety, where we can be totally vulnerable, not worried about what the other person might be thinking or think of how we're performing or uh, not living in fear that the next morning someone will just uh, walk away, but instead secure, committed, and the truth is, our culture has got this so badly wrong. All around us, we're led to believe that the best, most exciting sex is to be found before or outside of marriage. But the Bible says not a bit of it. It's within marriage that this can be found. But we need to be careful here because we could very easily get into this perception that everything's perfect in marriage, that happily ever after view. And again, we need to understand marriage. We need to understand sex in its right context. And that's what takes us over the page to our final heading, the meaning of marriage. Marriage is central to the storyline of the Bible. The Bible begins with a marriage. Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve. And it ends with a marriage, Revelation 21. And the ark of the Bible has marriage bookending it. And let's see what Revelation 21 says about marriage. And from this, we can see the meaning of marriage, where marriage points us. We read this in Revelation 21. Then I saw 
a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now... Sorry, I've lost... Ah, here we go. Uh, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write these things down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, if you're a Christian here this evening, these verses have just described your wedding day. This bride, spoken of here in Revelation 21, is the church, the body of believers. Her husband's is Jesus Christ. And this is a picture that actually comes up again and again in the Bible to describe the relationship between Jesus and his people, the church. And it's what sex and marriage is all about. It points us to something greater. Our marriages are to point to something greater. And that is the relationship between Jesus Christ and his people. That is what it's all about. A real life illustration of the depth and the passion and the joyfulness and the security and the commitment of the relationship between God and his people. Which of course has very big implications for how we view marriage and singleness. Uh, This means the Bible is saying, look, Getting married to another human being is not to be the be-all and end-all. If we're married, we're not to idolise marriage. If we're single, we're not to idolise marriage either. Because it points to something greater. It's worth thinking, what is it about our wedding day, whether we're looking back or maybe we're hoping, looking forward? What is it about such a day that we would really want? desire? What is it about it that makes it so attractive? Well, the wonderful thing is, is those things that we long for in marriage, we get even more through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. All those desires, all those hopes, all those dreams, they will be more than matched by that final wedding day. And it's worth pushing slightly deeper as we finish this evening to how this, what this means for us as, as flawed human beings as well, who are imperfect in so many ways. Because again, this analogy of marriage has such wonderful good news for us. Uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible is uh, the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. And Hosea, he was an Old Testament prophet, and he had a wife called Gomer, who was deeply unfaithful to him. She slept around. Eventually, she sold herself into sexual slavery. 
And God speaks to Hosea to command him to go back to his wife, to literally buy her back. And in so doing, he is saying, this is how I, speaking as God, how I want to treat my people. Uh, You've got the quote there from Hosea, chapter 3. The Lord said to me, go, this is Hosea speaking, go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I don't know what it is in the sacred raisin cakes, but it's not good. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I'll behave the same way toward you. This is a a wonderful picture of how God has treated us. Uh, Our sin is often described in the Bible as actually being spiritual adultery, of going off and rejecting God and going after other gods. And we fail him in so many ways, not least in the whole area of marriage and sex. We'll all be very aware, I'm sure, of our failings in this. But hear this. Hear the message of what God is saying here in Hosea. God wants us back. He wants us back. Whatever we've done, whatever mistakes we've made, however serious, however tarnished we feel, however despondent we feel, however much we've messed up, God wants us back. And so actually, thinking about Cinderella, there is a truth in that story of happily ever after. There is a happily ever after. And that is by turning back to God, by knowing him, by looking ahead to that day that Revelation 21 speaks of, where we will be united with Christ forever and ever, and we will live happily ever after. That is the promise of the Bible. That is the promise of God. And his grace is afresh for us, no matter what we've done. Just as Hosea brought back his wife, so Jesus Christ has brought us back through his death on the cross, bringing us the forgiveness that we need. So let's um, finish there. Let's land things there. We're going to sing together, and I wonder, Simon Toby, do do come up, and we're going to sing of this amazing gospel hope, putting marriage, putting sex in its right place, seeing how it points towards the good news that God wants us back. So let's just take a moment of quiet. Why don't we stand? Let's just take a moment of quiet. I'll lead us in prayer and then we'll sing together. Father, thank you so much that you speak into this um, deepest area so often in in our lives. Uh, This area of uh, much sensitivity of, of 
area where we can be very conscious of how weak we are, how easily we can go wrong. Lord, thank you that you teach us your ways, that your ways are good. Thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to be at work within us, to transform us day to day, day by day. Please might you help us to honour you in our singleness, in our marriages. And above all, might we look to your grace, the grace you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us, who has brought us back, who has paid the ransom. We praise you for him. In his name we pray.